The Nationals are back home, and Walters is the place to be. Swing by before the game for a cold one, or come afterwards to catch late-night NBA playoffs. Head over to waltersdc.com slash reservations to secure your reservation for this week. Walters is a great option, not only during Nats games, but also to watch Euro 2020 matches. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 2-1. Launch to right. Forget about it. Long, long gone into the second deck. A line drive home run. It's Francisco Lindor 5 and the Nationals nothing. Two homers, three hits, five RBIs. Number eight on the season is a line smash over the bullpen. 5-0 New York. And welcome to Nets Chat for Sunday, June 20th, 2021, part one, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Father's Day, 2021. We say happy Father's Day to all of the dads listening. Your dad may have told you that you couldn't have your dessert before your dinner. We're going to follow that edict for these two installments of the Nats Chat podcast as the Nationals split their doubleheader with the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park on Saturday. Dessert will come in the form of the next show in which we discuss the win, but dinner is what we get into on this show. And in this case, dinner was uh, cauliflower and artichoke, a 5-1, seven-inning loss to the Mets on Saturday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader. That game was not good, unless I guess you love cauliflower and artichoke. Hello, Mark. How are you? I do not like cauliflower or artichoke, Al. So yeah, that game was uh, exactly as you described it. Not a good one, but I suppose if you're going to have in a doubleheader one bad game, one good game, I think you'd rather finish on the high note, right? Leave them wanting more, come back for feeling good the next day on Sunday. So I, I think they'll take that. But that first game was, uh, oof, yeah, we're not going to be talking about this one you know, months from now. We're not going to be remembering that game very much. George Costanza taught us many years ago, leave them wanting more, leave on a high note. And the the Nationals hopefully did that with us on Saturday. I guess we'll start with the offense in game one. Again, the offense was atrocious. And, you know, for me, what really stood out, and honestly, this was the case in the win on Friday night. And it kind of gets lost because that was such a glorious win with the bottom of the ninth inning and with the performance of Eric Fetty. But, you know, the Nats in that game on Friday night made Joey Lucchese, who came into the game with an ERA of 518, look great. Five and a third scoreless innings, five strikeouts. And then you get a similar thing in game one of this doubleheader on Saturday. David Peterson was the Mets starting pitcher. He came into the game with an ERA of 560, and he ends up allowing one run in four and two thirds innings with six strikeouts. Another instance of the Nationals not only failing to get to a bad starting pitcher, but making that bad starting pitcher look great. I mean, 
it's been said many times already, you know, you're not facing Jacob deGrom in this series. You're not facing Marcus Stroman in this series. It's almost like it doesn't matter. You know, Joey Lucchese and David Peterson end up looking like, you know, Tom Seaver and Dwight Gooden at their respective peaks uh, so far in this uh, four-game set here. Nats in game one, one for 10 with runners in scoring position, did draw seven walks. So the Nats did put some guys on base, but finished the game with just four hits. I mean, we've had this conversation a million times, but just another aggravating offensive performance by the Nats in game one on Saturday afternoon. And I think this one goes high on the list of aggregating offensive performances this year, and there have been plenty of them on that list, but for a couple of reasons. One, they are facing a lefty. It's not just they're facing a guy who's not a big name, but they're facing a lefty. They've been better against lefties all year. This lineup is better suited against lefties, although Ryan Zimmerman wasn't in there. Instead, it was Josh Bell. That's one of the reasons I think they've been better against lefties this year. So it starts with that. And then, like you just said, seven walks. Davey Martinez has been pleading with his guys to draw more walks. It's been a real problem this year that they're not getting on base anything other than hits and the occasional hit by pitch. So here, for the first time in a long time, they draw seven walks in a seven-inning game. They wind up with 12 base runners in a seven-inning game, and only one of them scores. That, to me, is really, really not good. And there were so many opportunities where just one little hit could have done something and nobody could deliver it aside from the Soto single in the fifth after the Trey Turner double. And that was it. And it just felt hopeless for the better part of that game. And, you know, maybe psychologically they were trailing from the outset, two batters in the game, they're trailing to nothing. And maybe that does make it a little harder offensively. You know, it's a shorter game. You know this team has struggled to score runs. You know that very often the first team to score wins in this, the way this season has played out. And maybe there's a psychological element to it too, but you certainly can't say they didn't have their opportunities. They just did not convert them. Yeah, and one of the guys who did not convert especially was Josh Bell, the guy who started at first base as opposed to Ryan Zimmerman. Bell in game one, 0 for 3 with a walk. He left four men on base. He grounded out with Juan Soto on third off a walk in two wild pitches for the third out in the bottom of the third. I mean, the Mets basically gifted Juan Soto third base, and Bell was unable to do anything with that. Then Josh Bell grounded into a 4-6-3 double play. Runners on first and second. Nobody out in the bottom of the seventh inning. Why didn't Zimmerman start game one? Do we know? Because obviously Zimmerman ended up not starting game two as well. Yeah, I can't give you a definitive reason, but inferring some things here, I would say probably because he played Friday night and this was a quick turnaround to the Saturday afternoon game. Now he did pinch hit in this game, so it's not like he wasn't available at all. But I figure that was a case of maybe not wanting to try to push it and have him start the day game right after the night game. And then the second part of the equation, they didn't know really up until, I don't know, four o'clock, five o'clock, something like that, who the Mets were going to start in game two. And I think they thought it might be a lefty. It wound up being the righty, Robert Gesellman. And so I wonder if Davey was holding back, thinking if it was another lefty, that that would be the sign to start Zimmerman. And then he found out it was the righty instead. So he started Bell. I think you get a little too cute here. Just make your plan going into the day and say, which game is Bell going to start? Which game is Zim going to start? There's a reason you have both these guys on your roster. Why not give them both a start and a doubleheader? I don't know if it would have made a difference or not. Zim wound up grounding out and his at bat in the sixth with a couple guys on base. But I get why he didn't start this game, but you would have thought regardless he would have started the second game. Yeah, right. You would have thought it would have been an even split on Saturday, and uh, obviously it was not. Tough game for Josh Harrison, too. 0 for 3, did get hit by a pitch, but two strikeouts. He left three men on base, struck out on three pitches with runners on first and second and two outs 
in the Nats' one-run fifth. You mentioned the lone run scored by the Nationals. It came on an RBI single by Juan Soto. Juan Soto with another game in which he gets on base a lot but doesn't hit for power. One for two, RBI single, two walks, but that was a good-looking RBI single. Came with two outs and a count full in the bottom of the fifth. And the guy he scored, Trey Turner, Turner ended up having a huge day on Saturday. More on that coming up in the next installment of the pod. But Trey, in this game one loss, three of the Nats' four hits, which says a lot about a lot of things, but he had a double and two singles. And the double really was something else, a two-out full count double that concluded an 11-pitch plate appearance in which he was down in the count at 1.02. Zimmerman had that magnificent plate appearance in the win on Friday night in the bottom of the ninth, went from 0-2 to work in the count full, then uh, laced an opposite field single in a right field of Edwin Diaz as the Nationals rallied to score the run. And then Turner with this excellent plate appearance here, albeit in this loss on Saturday, 11 pitches, and he goes from down 0-2 to work in the count full to ultimately coming through with a double. So I actually think that sequence was important, the Turner and Soto back-to-back hits, and it didn't really impact the outcome of the game at all. But I thought both guys did something that was a particularly good sign for where they need to go from here. Like you said, a great at-bat by Trey Turner that ended not just with a single, not just with a walk, but with him lacing a double to the gap in in left center, a show of some power that we haven't seen. And sure enough, in the nightcap, there was an even better display of power. But I thought that was important for him given the way he's been hitting lately, to finish a a good long at-bat like that. And then, now that brings in the lefty to face Soto, Aaron Loop, and I thought that was an important at-bat for him on a 3-2 pitch, I believe, lining a single to right field to score the runner. So that's off a lefty who he's really struggled against, and not just going the other way with it, but actually driving a ball to the pull side for the single. Again, it didn't make a difference in the outcome, but in the bigger picture, I thought that might have been a significant moment for both players. I think in Trey Turner's case, it certainly was. It portended a lot for the nightcap. Soto had two hits in the nightcap, didn't do a whole lot else, but maybe that's a little bit of a sign of him starting to come around. So I I thought that was a nice sequence in an otherwise forgettable game offensively. One more position player note, and then we'll get to the pitching. Uh, Alex Avila was the national starting catcher in game one. Another instance of a national's catcher throwing out a runner trying to steal a base. Avila gunning down Luis Guillorme, who has not had much luck so far in this series trying to steal bases on an attempt to steal a second base on a strike him out, throw him out, double play for the first two outs in the top of the seventh. So Avila now on the season, five for 12 on runners trying to steal. We saw Jan Gomes do more of his work in the victory on Friday night. I was thinking about this. I mean, you would know this as well as anybody. Have the Nationals ever had a catching tandem like this, this adept at throwing out runners trying to steal in a season. I mean, I get that the season isn't over yet. We'll see what the final numbers end up being. But in terms of a one-two punch like this, Gomes and Davila, and how great each guy has been this season in terms of controlling the running game, is this the best the Nats have ever been at catcher in that regard? I'm going to say yes. The only other person I can think of who was comparable was Pudge Rodriguez, who at that point was not the same as he was early in his career. I mean, this was the very end of his career, and he was still a threat back there. But his backup, I think, would have been Jesus Flores during that time, who wasn't really much of anything special. So yeah, I think this is probably the best one-two combo they've had from a defensive standpoint, probably in the history of the club since they've been here in town. Now, I think the Suzuki and Gomes tandem in 2019 is the best offensive catching tandem they've had. Those two really did work together in that regard. Defensively, no, it was not the case. So what Avila and Gomes are doing this year behind the plate, yeah, I'll, I'll say this is the best catching duo they've probably ever had. 
Yeah, Gomes in the win on Friday night throughout Mason Williams on an attempted steal a second base throughout Guillorme on an attempted steal a second base. You added up Gomes and Avila, a combined 19 for 46. I mean, nearly 50% in terms of throwing out runners trying to steal this season. Just an excellent job by those guys. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code CHAT and games on Sunday afternoon include Toronto at Baltimore at 105. Starting for the American League worst Orioles is Matt Harvey. He starts every fifth game for the O's. And so every fifth game for the O's, I recommend you go the other way. He has an ERA on the season of 776. He has an ERA over his last seven starts of 14.09. The Blue Jays, yes, are the play. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Now the set by Ross. The kick of the 2-0 pitch swung on, hit in the air to deep left center. Robles is back, warning track at the wall, leaping, and it is gone. Into the Prue House, red seats in left center field. Francisco Lindor with his seventh home run of the year. He snaps it all for 11. It's the Mets, two of the Nationals, nothing. Well, Joe Ross was the Nationals starting pitcher in the 5-1, seven-inning loss to the Mets at Nationals Park on Saturday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader split. We've talked so much about Joe Ross. There is good Ross. There is bad Ross. There is uh, many times good Ross and bad Ross in the same game. And we kind of saw this in this game. I mean, it was mostly bad Ross and that he ends up giving up five runs in five innings. So there's only so much good you can really celebrate in an outing like that. But I thought some of the particulars were interesting. So he gives up six hits, including two homers, a double and three singles. He does, though, have five strikeouts versus no walks. And he did throw a bunch of strikes. He was really good in terms of pounding the zone, throwing strikes, did issue a hit by pitch, but like otherwise, he did well in that way. What seemed to doom Ross more than anything was one guy, Francisco Lindor. Ross giving up a two-run homer to Lindor in the top of the first, a one-out RBI single to Lindor in the top of the third, a one-out two-run homer to Lindor in the top of the fifth. I know it can be an oversimplification to say one guy beat you, but if ever there was a case of that, this game kind of seemed to be an instance of that. Well, and that's what Joe's quote was afterwards. He said, one guy beat me, and that was that. I mean, yeah, he's got beat by one guy. Which is somewhat true. I would also say that David Peterson, the opposing pitcher, kind of beat him. He hit him with a pitch in the third, and he wound up scoring. And then the leadoff double in the fifth set a really bad tone for that inning. And we'll get to this of why Joe Ross was still pitching at that point in the fifth inning, because I thought that was a questionable decision. Look, you start the game single homer. Already you're behind the eight ball, and this is something that has happened to Joe. It's happened to almost everyone on the staff at some point this season, and it just feels so magnified with the Nats lineup and in a seven-inning game. I'm sure there were plenty of our listeners out there who thought the game was over two batters in at 2 nothing. And I'm not saying they're wrong for thinking that. Now, of course, they can come back and score two runs over seven innings, but we've seen how these games go sometimes. We've seen how this lineup goes, and that felt like a really bad omen. Now, he writes the ship after that. Then the third inning gives up the run, starts with the hit by pitch. Then it's the RBI single to Lindor. So now you get to the fifth, and it's 3 nothing. And here's the thing. In the bottom of the fourth, the pitcher spot is due up next, and they have a runner in scoring position. And they were going to pinch hit for him in the bottom of the fourth, except the spot never came up. They had a guy warming in the bullpen. I think it was Suero. And then because the spot doesn't come up, now Davey sends him back out for the fifth. And you know he's going to be facing Lindor for the third time. Did we really expect the result to be that different the third time around? I didn't. Now, again, if it's a nine-inning game, it's a different story. You kind of have to push your start a little bit. But in a seven-inning game, to put him back out there in the fifth, I felt like was just kind of playing with fire. And I think we, I'm not going to say you knew he was going to homer, but the odds of Joe Ross getting through that fifth inning seemed pretty slim to me. 
I didn't think he had a great chance of getting through that, especially given who he was going to be facing. And especially after giving up the leadoff double to Peterson in that top of the fifth. I mean, is that not like a flashing neon sign of, hey, uh, this guy, you know, it's kind of exiting him now. You know, the gas tank is on E. Let's not push this anymore, especially with a guy like Ross, who you always worry about the third time through the order penalty. So I'm with you on that. Davies seemed to have a thing on Saturday of staying with his starting pitchers. So we'll talk about that with John Lester coming up in the next installment of the pod. But uh, I don't think that's unreasonable at all, what you just brought up there. So, yeah, it's another very mixed outing. I mean, again, five runs and five innings. Nobody's happy about that. Uh, but uh, Ross, you know, no walks was good. 50 strikes on 67 pitches is good. But, you know, Ross now ERA of 454 on the season over 13 starts. I, I know at times he has been grouped with Eric Fetty. I, I think they're on two very different paths at this point. Fetty is surging. Ross is still very up and down. And some games he's good, like what he did in the 5 nothing win over the Giants at Nats Park last Sunday afternoon. You know, best adding of his career, really. Eight scoreless innings, nine strikeouts. But other games, you get what you got from Ross on Saturday afternoon. Then with the Nats bullpen in the game, uh, Davey does go to the pen. And we see the return of Austin Voth. It's nice to have him back off the broken nose, a scoreless top of the sixth. And Ryan Harper tossing a perfect top of the seventh inning. So you were able to get through game one without using any of your quote-unquote varsity relievers. Um, You know, the game kind of felt like, hey, with the Mets up 5-1, there really wasn't much hope here. And so you go with Voth, and uh, then you go with Harper. And then after the game, probably the most significant development, truth be told, of the Saturday afternoon portion of the National Saturday. And you have taught me with Max Scherzer, it's very simple. When he's coming off something, if he stops to talk to you guys, that's a bad sign. If he just marches past you guys, that's a good sign. He had another bullpen session on Saturday, and he walked past you guys, and it looks like Max is ready to come back. Exactly. And this played right up to who he is and exactly what I was telling you the other day. When he stopped to talk to us that first time he tried to throw before they placed him on the IL, and you could tell in his words he was kind of wishy-washy, he wasn't entirely sure, just the fact he was actually being expansive on what he was feeling, that said to me, now he has doubt. He doesn't think he's going to be able to make this start. Sure enough, he didn't make the start. So on Saturday, he goes out to, to throw a bullpen. There were a lot of people out there watching. Davey Martinez, Jim Hickey, I couldn't see everybody. There were like 10 people in the bullpen. And when he was finished, he ends up giving fist bumps and high fives to everybody in there. Now, he's in full uniform, by the way, and I love this about Max Scherzer. Other guys go out there in like a T-shirt or a warm-up shirt or something like that. Max Scherzer, when he throws a bullpen, is in full uniform. He's not playing in today's game at all. There's no reason for him to be in full uniform, but he wants to practice the way that he will be pitching in a game. And so he actually wears the whole full uniform. He gets into it. So he's all done with it. He's giving high fives. He's walking back, and there's three or four of us standing there on the warning track as he comes walking by, and he gives us the kind of the look. And just as he, without breaking stride, he says, 40-pitch bullpen, all's good, see you Tuesday. And that's it, down the tunnel to the dugout. So that tells you, not only is he feeling okay, he's feeling great. <laughs> Max, is, this was exactly how he did it uh, before game six of the World Series in Houston, when he had to test himself out and make sure that his neck was fine and whether or not he was going to start game seven. It was the exact same thing. Walked right past a bunch of reporters and said, I'm good, and that was it. So you know that he was feeling it. So Excellent sign. He's eligible to come off the IL on Tuesday. Unless something crazy happens between now and then, I would fully expect to see him pitching at Citizens Bank Park that night. It's great news. And, you know, for all of the talk, and justifiably so, about this big four-game set against the Mets, after this series comes another big series for the Nationals, albeit a two-game series, but two games at the Phillies Tuesday night and then Wednesday afternoon. 
the Phillies are one of these teams so far this season. First of all, Phillies are in second place in the National League East. But second of all, Phillies are much different at home versus on the road. Philadelphia's home record is excellent. Road record, not so much. You're facing the Phils in Philadelphia. And as things stand now, it'll be Scherzer in game one, Fetty in game two. So in that big two-game series, you are throwing your two stars right now. And yes, I said stars with the way Eric Fetty is pitching, but that sets up quite nicely. No Scherzer in this big series against the Mets, but you'll have him in game one at the Phils. And then Eric Fetty, who is flying right now, will be going in game number two. Yeah, uh, who would have thought that that we'd be talking about being excited to have Eric Fetty on the mound for a big game, but that's where we are right now. And let me come back to uh, to a point you you mentioned about Joe Ross. I agree with you. I think Fetty has distinguished himself in a different class right now. I think Joe Ross is pitching like a fifth starter at best. Very erratic. You don't know what you're going to get start to start, whereas Fetty has been more consistent. So here's the thing. We've been talking for weeks and weeks and weeks about, well, who's going to lose their job once everyone's healthy? Now, the thing is, they're not going to be fully healthy for a while. It's not going to happen until Steven Strasburg is ready to go. And at this point, Strasburg is just playing catch in the outfield. He still hasn't gotten on a mound. He's not throwing with velocity. As we've been saying, they're going to take this thing slowly. So Joe Ross is in the rotation for the foreseeable future. Unless, unless, Al, they want to get bold here. And with Max coming off the I.L., Who's the man who replaced him and performed so admirably in the rotation? Don't tease me. Don't tease me like this. Is there any chance, any chance at all, that when Joe Ross's next turn comes around, instead of having him make the start, we get Paolo Espino instead? Do you really think Davey would do that? I would love to see that. I just cannot (laughs) see them doing something like that. No, I do not see it happening at all. I think Paolo is exactly what he's supposed to be. He's the mop-up man. He's the emergency reliever. If you need a starter because something happens, he's the guy. But no, to do that would be a pretty big slap in the face of Joe Ross, I think, right now. And if they have any hope of him still developing into something more consistent for them, they have to show some signs of confidence in him, or at the very least, The guy replacing him in the rotation needs to be named Steven Strasburg and not Paolo Espino. Well, first of all, don't ever play with my emotions like that again. But (laughs) second of all, with Ross, that's the thing with him. He could throw a no hitter in his next start. Like you just you never know with him. It's it's so random what he does start in and start out. So as disappointing as his outing in game one on Saturday ended up being, that that doesn't mean anything, I feel like, for game number two or for his next outing, I should say. So we'll see on that. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, contact Tim Shovers. Again, the email address, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can also email us a voice memo with a question or comment regarding the Nationals. Also, Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts remain available. Got another game on this homestand at which you can wear your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. If we see you on TV, we'll tweet out the photo. If you tweet out you wearing a Nats Chat Pod t-shirt at Nationals Park, we'll retweet that. Uh, You can get your t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. The cauliflower and artichoke have been consumed. Now comes the fun part. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. All right, well, why don't we smooth the head down to nothing, stick a pumpkin under its arm, and change the nameplate to Ichabod Crane. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful, time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. 
Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.